At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Praise the name of Jesus. Can we thank God for our worship team today? They did such a great job uh, helping to lead us. Special guest worshiper today was David Price. Appreciate uh, our dear brother as well as all of our team. Well, I'm pretty fired up to be able to be here and and share God's Word with you. You know, um, certain things that we used to take uh, for granted, we don't take for granted anymore, do we? And so praise God for another week where we can be in the house of the Lord. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. You know, uh, this has been one of the strangest and most unprecedented times any of us have ever experienced. Arguably one of the strangest times in, in history. I think that when historians years, decades from now look back on the year that is 2020, they're going to look for some words to describe 2020. They're going to look for some adjectives, uh, some I'm sure that haven't even been invented yet, to describe uh, this whale of a year. I think that as I consider various words to describe this year, one of the words that's accurate and apropos is the word unrest. This has just been a year of unsettledness, of unrest in many ways. Just think about it. There's been political unrest, economic unrest. There's medical and health unrest. No doubt you've been paying attention to the social unrest. And yes, if we are honest, there's even spiritual unrest. Unrest of soul, unrest of heart, not just for those who have yet to believe, but even those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And what do we do with all this unrest? Well, you couple all of that with the fact that men and women are now asking questions that maybe they've never even asked before, some big questions like, when life gets back to normal, whatever normal is, what parts of my old life do I want to bring back to this new season of life? Anybody asking that question at all? What part of my old life, my busy life that was, will I bring into the new normal. And you know, there are going to be certain things that make the list, certain things that are really important that you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring that back into my life when life gets back to normal. But there's going to be some other things that you just kind of cancel out and should be canceled out. For me, it is Krispy Kreme. I have made a decision. I am not going back. No matter what, I've seen my last Krispy Kreme donut. Never should have did it in the first place. But I'm going forward in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You pray for me because all of that was a lie. But anyway, um, <laughs> but we're all thinking about that, right? We're thinking about, man, am I going to send my kids back to school when school year comes around? I know my wife and I are having that conversation. Any other parents out there or any grandparents have kids that are asking that question? Are we going to send our kids back to school again? Some people are asking, am I going to go back to work again uh, physically? And yes, some people are even asking, am I going to go back to church again physically? The church is not immune from this question of whether or not we're going to get canceled out of people's schedule. People are asking the question 
uh, like never before. A generation is asking the question like never before, is the public worship gathering worth it? Is church worth it? Is spiritual family worth it? And you know, we got two options, uh, church. We can either lament that that question is being asked, or we can rejoice over the fact that that question is being asked, and we get a chance to answer the question. Yesterday, I, I looked, and uh, on Facebook, there's this instant messenger feature, and I don't check it often, but I checked it, and uh, a good friend of mine from the city of Detroit that I used to work with, he sent me this urgent message earlier this week, and it was about a family member of his that had walked away from the faith, declared himself to be an atheist, and he was uh, posing all of these reasons why. And uh, my friend was a little bit unsettled by it. He reached out to say, can you help me answer these questions? But the crux of the email, the content of it was, what does it matter? What does it matter anymore if all we have is confusion and chaos? Well, I looked at that and I said, man, first off, praise God that this family member trusts you enough to ask that question of what does it matter And I'll ask you the question, church, does public worship matter? Does the gathering matter? Does spiritual family matter? You know, we've been in this series called Assembly Required. And when we put together this uh, this series, uh, the pastoral team, we had no idea we would be in this season and facing these circumstances. But here's what we knew to be true. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 20, uh, through 25, we see these words that are unchanging, branded in Scripture forever. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. How many have not let go of their hope? Amen. I got a big amen for that. Let's try that again. How many have not let go of their hope? Without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. And let us consider how to serve one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There it is, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. My friends, we are commanded to gather together for public worship. In John 4, 24, he tells us that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is something powerful that happens when the people of God gather together collectively to worship God. Don't get me wrong. Your individual witness is important, but there are certain things your individual witness can't do like your public witness can when you gather together across every cultural distinction in a season where there is confusion and chaos and division, and we get together in rooms like this showing Christ's love to one another and lifting up the the name of our God, how many of you know that a watching world takes notice and it testifies to the greatness of our God and King? 
Amen. And so I want to say to those of you that are in the building, you need to be thrilled that you are in the building. Now, I know for those of you that are online that this is a season where that needs to happen for many. Some are facing health challenges. Some are uh, immune compromised. And we want you to stay home and be safe. And that's why we do our media uh, so that you might be able to participate in worship service. And maybe gathering for you means uh, your family in a living room right now watching service. Praise God for that, if only for a season. But I also want to give a loving pastoral rebuke a little bit and say to those of you who might be using this pandemic as a cover to say, I kind of like back porch church. I kind of like communion in my pajamas. It's a little bit convenient. I'd rather not go through the trouble of coming in. I just want to challenge you and say this, that throughout all of history, the people of God in times of unrest found ways to gather together because there's something powerful that happens when you gather together with the people of God. Think about it. When the apostles were told early on in the early church, don't you dare declare his name, they found a way to still gather together during the Protestant Reformation, when the Protestant faith was burgeoning and uh, it was under threat to gather together. They still found a way to gather together through wars, World War I, World War II, the Revolutionary War. The church still found a way to gather together because there's something powerful about public witness. So if you are at home for a season, I want you to stay safe, but as soon as you can, you get back to the house of God so that you can join the rest of us and we can add your voice to ours as we sing a hallelujah to our great God and King. Can I get an amen from the people of God? Now, today we're going to go back into the book of Psalms. And uh, Psalms, as you know, is the hymn book of ancient Israel. And for those kids that are following with us, once again, we got kids' notes, great kids' notes. Now, up until this week, we've been bribing the kids to fill out these notes. We've had popsicles. We've had ice creams. Today, parents, the buck is on you. You got to get the gift. Uh, but... Uh, but I will say to the parents that are at home, we emailed you this yesterday, so you can print it at home. And if you're here and you have kids, can we give a hand for our kids that are with us uh, today? Uh, these kids' notes are for you. Um, I uh, saw Pastor EJ's cute little kids in the back, and there's other kids that are here. I want you to fill this out, and the title of today's message is Ever Present Praise. And you fill those out, and then you say to mommy and daddy, Pastor Chris, yeah, you got to get me something as a reward for filling this out, and they're going to have to do it. Now, the Psalms are powerful because they not only are the hymn book of ancient Israel, they're the playlist for the church. And today we get a chance to look at a Psalm that will remind us of why we ought to be giving God ever-present praise. You know what I wanted to say to my friend's family member who had walked away from the church? I wanted to question, had he experienced a genuine joy of, of Christ-centered worship as the people of God come together and collectively worship our great God and King. Our response, folks, to the question of does spiritual family matter, does public worship matter, does church matter, 
uh, can't just be in word, but it has to be in deed and in action. And so when we gather together, we are declaring to a watching world that Christ makes a difference in the hearts and lives of those who believe in him. Psalm 145, before I read it, I love it. Uh, before I read it, uh, I do want to give you a little background on it. It's an alphabet psalm, meaning that it follows a, an acrostic formation, each of the verses containing one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, some of you who have studied Hebrew, maybe in seminary, will know there are 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet, but just 21 verses. And that's because in the ESV in particular, verse number 13 has a, a, a section or two parts to the verse, and one section is bracketed, and it contains two uh, letters from the Hebrew alphabet there. Now, why? Why would uh, the psalmist, David in this particular instance, this is the last psalm of David in the book of Psalms, why would he do an alphabet psalm like this? Why would he lay out this acrostic? Well, for two reasons. Number one, it's a, it's a mnemonic device for memorization. It just helps you to be able to remember Oh, how I love thee. Let me count the ways from A to Z. So it was a way for ancient Israel to remember why they should collectively come together and give God ever-present praise, never stop worshiping him. But the second reason why he writes it this way is to communicate his heart uh, for the greatness of God. You'll see it all throughout this, this passage that God is good from A to Z and every point in between. In other words, my friends, God is good in every season. God is good every day. God is good in every situation. God is to be praised. That's the big idea of this text we're about to read. In every season, every day, God is to be praised. I want to say that again. Every season, every day, God is to be praised. Now, some of you got it, but I'm going to say it again. This side of the church, every season, every day, God is to be praised. Amen. Now, you can't let them outdo you. Every season, every day, God is to be praised. Amen. Come on and give God praise, people of God. There hasn't been a year like this that, is, that has tried to vie for your affections, tried to rob God of his praise, tried to convince you that he's not good to you, tried to get you to be so bitter and so enraged with the failures of humanity that you forget about the goodness of God. And that's why I praise God that thousands of years ago, this man, David, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of our God, penned this glorious song. It is so awesome, so pure, that it was called the crown jewel of praise. Because David comes to this moment only with one motive, and that is to praise God. You'll notice there's no request in this psalm. There's no petition in this psalm. All David wants to do, it, 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 it's as if he woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. It's as if he woke up with his heart and mind filled with reminders of the goodness of Jesus. How many know what it is to have highs and lows in life? How many know what it's like to go through a valley? Some of you know what depression is like. Some of you know what grief is like. Some of you know uh, what seasons of sadness and being distressed are like. 
well, this is not that psalm, but it can help in those seasons. No, this is a mountaintop psalm for David. This is a psalm of high praise as he is fully aware of how great God is. With all that set up, let me read it to you. Now, let me just say one more thing, and that is David could have easily kept this psalm private. Any creatives out there, anybody ever in your private time write a poem to God? All right, there we go, two of you. Uh, anybody ever write a song to God? Oh, okay, let me just lower the bar. Anybody ever write letters to Jesus? Expressing your heart. I think that's an actually a great spiritual exercise. If you've not done that before, I would encourage you, write a letter to Jesus just expressing your heart. And then push yourself creatively. Maybe try to write a poem to Jesus. And, and maybe push yourself a little bit more and try to write a, a psalm to Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. If it's terrible, keep it private, and only you and Jesus will know how bad it is. But you, you just write it from your heart, and he'll love it because it expresses your sincere worship. But David didn't do this. David wrote this, and then he hands it to the choir director and says, I want the people of God to sing this collectively because we all need to be reminded of his praise. Now imagine being a choir director and getting this and seeing the title, A Song of Praise of David. Real simple, and encapsulates all of what the Psalms is driving home. Look at what it says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Notice the forever and ever. Then he goes on to say, every day I will bless you and praise your name. Again, forever and ever. It says, if David is sending us a message that God is worthy of perpetual praise, continual praise, no matter what you're going through. In every season, every day, God is to be praised. He deserves ever-present praise. Why? Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and greatness and his greatness is unsearchable. There are three greats in that one verse. Anytime you have three greats in one verse, that's a great verse. <laughs> verse number four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the, mighty, of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. There we see it again. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious. He's not just great. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Mine has an exclamation mark at the end of that statement. Amen. Verse number 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations, and that includes 2020. 
He goes on to say, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Praise God. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on the name, on on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever. Give God praise. Now this, my friends, David gives to the choir director. He, he, he leads the people in collective worship. And what's the point of all this? Well, I think the point of all of this is that David is answering three questions, three big questions. The first question David is answering, and kids, you can put this into your notes, is what happens when we praise God? What happens when we praise God? I'm going to give you two things that happen when we praise God. First, look at what David Uh, says in verse number one, he says, I will extol you my God and King. Do you notice how personal God was to him? David had, had, had gone beyond God simply being a theological concept. David had gone beyond God simply being uh, generationally inherited from his parents and their parents before him. No, as he worshiped God, as he praised him, something happened in his heart and he was reminded that you are my God. You know, yesterday as I was reading my friend's message to me about his family member who was an atheist, his family member describes why he has rejected God. He says, I can't believe in a God who created everything supposedly and then detached from it all, is totally uninterested, and somehow is going to make everything right after we die. He says, I can't believe in a God like that. And you know what I felt like saying? Neither can I. I can't believe in a God like that either. And, and praise God, that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God of the Bible. Our God didn't create the world and didn't detach himself. How many like David know that he is not only transcended, but he is in, in, imminent, that he is also actively involved in the affairs of our lives, that he cares for us, for the very hairs that are on our head. How many thank God that we serve a God who is not only big and great, but he is gracious, loving, and personal. God cares for you. He he loves you. He offers you and I not rules, but relationship. He he doesn't offer us just laws, but love. He, He wants to invite us into loving relationship with him because he knows that's what we need. And as he invites us into relationship with him through faith in Christ, he also invites us into relationship with one another and maybe arguably the greatest blessing outside of our direct relationship with the Savior is the fact that we can have spiritual family with one another. 
And so David says, because of this, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Why do we praise him? What happens when we praise him, rather? Uh, the first thing that happens when we praise him is that God goes from feeling distant to feeling close. Uh, he goes from being impersonal to being personal. If you're going to make it through this season, you need to know that God is personal and that he's close to you. There are many days when I feel overwhelmed in my soul, but if you want to fix your, 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 your gaze, if you want to change your view, then just begin to worship God and you will realize that God is not far off. He is very, very near. And I thank God for that. But the second thing that happens when you praise God is seen in verse number three. When we come together collectively and praise God, give him ever-present praise, we are reminded of this. Verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. That's it. That's the hinchpin of the entire chapter. That is the point. The point is, is that David had to be reminded of how great God is, how big he is, how triumphant he is, how glorious he is, and he knew the people needed it too. Now, now you know who else needs it? We need it. Because we're in 2020, and, and in 2020, there's some things that feel really big. Coronavirus feels really, really big, and for some of us, we have so magnified coronavirus and the bigness of the virus in our minds that we've made God really small. Social unrest seems really, really big in our minds. And for some of us, God feels really small compared to that. For some, economic issues feel really, really big in our minds. And we've made God really small in comparison to that. But what David wants to happen in the hearts of his people, what I want to have happen in our hearts, family of God, is I want us to remember that God is bigger, that God is bigger than coronavirus. Can I get an amen for that? That God is bigger than the social unrest, that God is bigger than what happens in economies. God is bigger than elections. God is bigger than the media. God is bigger than medicine. God is bigger than and all that's happening all around us. Let the nations rage. Our God sits on his throne forever and ever and ever. Here's the beautiful thing about our God. He is unelected, unimpeachable. He will reign forever and ever and ever, no matter what happens in the world. So we can have an anchor to our soul. My friends, God's not small. He's not small. He is big. He is great. And he is greatly to be praised. David wanted them to change their perspective on life, and I want you to change your perspective. I don't want you to think of God being small. Anytime you uh, watch the news, just as soon as you click it off, say, God is greater. Anytime you hear of a bad report, as soon as you hear the bad report, say, thanks for the information, but God is great. Anytime you get a little bit nervous about the economy, I just want you to remind yourself, God is Yes, he is. Yes, he is, my friends. And not only do you need to remind yourself of that, you need to remind somebody else of that. You need to text somebody today and just text them, God is 
Dre, and use all caps locks. I give you permission. You can use all capital letters. Just remind them that God is great. Phone a friend, tell a neighbor, let someone know that God is great. This is why we come together in public worship. But again, let's not forget that it's not just us that's watching. You know, there are thousands of people watching right now, some who already have believed, some who are skeptics, but they're seeing us come together. And what is going to be our testimony? Is it going to be a woe is me testimony? Is it going to be just focusing in on the negative? No, David dedicated 22 sentences to writing this beautiful, lyrically uh, uh, a wonderful poem and psalm to remind himself to remind his people and to remind the world that we serve a God who is great. The second question that this psalm answers is why is God to be praised? I think that's worth answering. Why is God to be praised? Why, why should we even give him our full attention? Well, maybe you noticed as you read throughout the psalm, David answers that question by saying, because of who he is. See, when you know him, you will praise him. If you're not praising him today, it's because you just don't know him as he really is. And there's a lot of bad information out there about God. There's a lot of propaganda out there about God. That's why you got to turn to his word if you really want to know who he is. And the thing about the Bible is it reminds us of who he is. Look at these verses. In verse number one, we're reminded God is personal. As David said, he is my God. We're reminded God is king. Verse number three, we're reminded God is great, as, as I have said. Verse number four, we're reminded God is active. He is at work. And the stories of his power have been from the beginning. In verse number five, we're reminded God is glorious. In verse number seven, we're reminded God is good and righteous. In verse eight, we're reminded, look here, that God is gracious and merciful and he loves us. Look at verse number 11. I love verse number 11 uh, and, and, and what it reminds us of concerning the greatness of God. They shall speak of the glory of, of, the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Look at what it says. Our God reigns. He is powerful. Verse number 13, our God is everlasting. Verse number 14, our God is faithful. Verse number 15, our God supplies. Verse number 16, our God is generous. Verse number 17, our God is kind. How many thank God for that? Verse number 18, our God is near. Verse number 19, our God listens. And verse number 20, our God is protector. Well, where does all of this, folks, leave us? Well, it leaves us in verse 21 where he closes and says, let all flesh bless his holy name. Did you notice in verse number one, he started out by himself. He says, I will extol you. By verse number 21, he says, all flesh bless his holy name. You know what that tells me? That tells me that my faith and my praise is contagious. My, my praise is infectious and so is yours. When you begin to get happy in Jesus and you begin to praise God, somebody else is going to get infected by that. And guess what? A revival might just break out. Let me be honest. There are certain times when I walk into this worship center and my heart is heavy or I've had a rough week and it felt like it was, uh, you know, a, a, a tough time and I'll come in here and the worship team will begin to lead us and, and next thing I know I'm, 
I'm starting to feel a little bit of the joy of Jesus, but maybe the heaviness is still there. And part of what I've trained myself to do is to worship God in spite of my emotions. You got to discipline yourself because sometimes you got to worship God and wait for your emotions to catch up. But I will tell you one of the secrets that every pastor pastor knows is that there are certain times when I'm having a tough time worshiping Jesus and then I look at one of you. And I see one of you and your passion in worshiping God. Never underestimate the fact that somebody's watching you as you're worshiping God. And I see your passion for worshiping God and something happens in my heart and in my soul. Next thing you know, I'm trying to catch up with you and I'm trying to praise God. You know, um, uh, one of the joys of having little kids is that they imitate what you do, for better or for worse, so be careful. And so a couple weeks ago, I was at home, and I thought I was by myself, and I was uh, singing a song of praise to the Lord, and I didn't notice her until later, but I turned around, and my little four-year-old daughter, Sophia, who is definitely the praiser of the group, uh, she was... uh, imitating daddy. And next thing you know, she's singing the same song I'm singing. My praise was contagious. You know, your praise is contagious. When you begin to worship God because he is great, because he is gracious, because he is merciful, because he does lift up those who are falling. Have you ever been in a season where you were falling? God is lifting up those who are falling because all of these things are true. We should praise him And when we do, others will praise him. And when we come together and do this together, it's a witness to a watching world. One last point that I want to make, and it's simply this. The question that David answers is, how do we praise our God? How do we praise our God? And he answers that question in verse number five, I think most directly. He says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty... And on your wondrous works, I will meditate. How do we praise our God? By meditating on his glorious splendor and by magnifying his names. Two ways. Uh, Notice the first, meditate. Now that word meditate in the Hebrew gives you the word picture of a cow chewing its cud. This is uh, this slow, methodical process of a cow chewing its cud and then digesting it. Now, I am no cow expert, but they tell me that cows have uh, four compartments to which they digest their food. And, uh, and they, they eat it slowly and they, they digest it thoroughly. So by the time it's gone through those four compartments, the full nutrients of that food have been absorbed. My friends, uh, just like the cow has to chew his cud, we should chew on the Word of God, and we should chew on it slowly until the full nutrients gets into our souls. I know I read through this one fast. I read through this Psalm 145 really fast, but don't, don't worry. You can go back home and meditate on a verse or on a few verses and begin to memorize those and commit them to your heart and let the nutrients get so deep in your soul that it provokes you to praise. Again, if you're not praising him, it's probably because you haven't been in his word. Because when you get into the word, you'll be reading through it. And sometimes I got to put my Bible down just to have a praise break and say, praise God. All of this is true. They tell me that a cow will swallow its food whole. It'll go into one digestive 
digestive department, then come back into the cow's mouth and the cow will keep chewing it. TMI, too much information, I know, but you get the point. Sometimes we can swallow a sermon whole. We can read a whole passage and then walk away and forget it. But, but my friends, I want to encourage you, meditate on this. And I'm just convinced that all of us got at least one song in us. If David could write 21 sentences to the Lord, what about you? What about me? What if I challenged you? Here's the last homework assignment of the day. Go home and write your list out and let each one begin with my God is. And you fill in the blank about why he is worthy to be praised. You know what I know you could do without any help? If I asked you to go home and make 21 sentences about what you're frustrated about today, how many could do it? (laughs) If I said 21 sentences on what makes you angry today, how many could do it? All right, so these are 21 sentences about, about why God is to be praised. And how many can say, he woke me up this morning, praise God. How many can say, I got breath in my lungs, praise God. How many can say, I've been forgiven, praise God. Jesus died for me, praise God. He's coming back for me again, praise God. I'm loaning you some of my sentences. Let everything that have breath, praise ye the Lord. Everybody stand in this church today and give God praise. Amen. Now we're going to close. We're going to close in prayer and then we're going to praise our great God again as the praise team comes back out. But don't hold back today. Give him your whole heart because as we do, as we collectively lift up the name of Jesus, we're giving witness to a watching world that our God is great and worthy of ever present praise. Father, we pray right now that you will receive this worship, that you would change our perspective, that you would be honored and glorified in all things. We love you and we give you glory. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.